Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So if you're here the other week, two weeks ago, I started a little series with an introduction to a study that I'm calling Living Hope. And it's going to be looking at this uh, letter. An epistle is a letter written by an apostle. Don't get them mixed up. (laughs) Don't get your apostles and your epistles mixed up. The apostle Peter. And uh, I've called it Living Hope. We're in the year of hope here at Ivy. And... uh, And I say Peter, and it says Peter, but if you were here last time, I started out with an introduction to the book, and we found out that this is a man with a few different names, really, because he's called Simon, or Simeon in Hebrew. That's his family name, Simeon, Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus said to him, if you remember, when he spoke to him using that name, Satan has tried to sift you as wheat. But he said, but I've prayed for you. It's like, you're going to come through. And then, and Jesus had changed his name. He said, I'm not going to call you that. I'm going to call you this. What did he call him? Cephas. In Aramaic, which is Peter in Greek. And what we're saying the other week was that God calls out what he puts in. And he puts a rock inside this man and whenever pretty much like 50 times Peter gets called Simon 50 times it's the times often when he fails Jesus calls him Simon because he's got these feet of clay but at the same time he calls out Peter in him he calls out the new him on the inside and so when he writes this letter he says I'm Peter the apostle that's who I'm speaking as this is the new guy and I'm writing to you and this is identity issues who who does he write to he says the pilgrims of the dispersion in these various places across modern day Turkey what shapes your identity and people ask who are you where you're from is it your accent is it your your individual personality for most of us more than anything it's going to be our relationships particularly our family who our parents were all those kind of things really shape our identity if you want to know somebody get to know their family so Peter starts out by speaking to this scattered group of Christians by reminding them of who they all are in relation to their heavenly father and their identity is that they are all he says pilgrims people on a journey passing through that's who we are we're passing through you haven't got a place to call your own they've been driven out they've been scattered they've been dispersed by persecution because Christians at that time were hated hurting hunted did you sign up for that persecution took away their homes their ancestry 
their families may have totally disowned them for following Jesus Christ which makes me really ask is this letter addressed to me because do I live like a stranger do I live like a pilgrim do I live like somebody who's just passing through or do I get a bit attached to this world to what extent am I free to serve him and to go wherever he sends me because he might say go and I might say well I would of course Lord but I have certain responsibilities how free are we from this world how free are we in this world how hard is this when we put our roots down in a place that we're meant to be just passing through these first Christians you see the ones that Peter was talking to they really didn't have much of a choice but they ended up because of persecution he describes them as like resident aliens they've not really even got a visa short term visa at best any day now they're going to go to their real home that's the way it is Peter himself is writing from that position he doesn't last a decade after writing these words to them before he himself is crucified upside down following Jesus Christ so he's like saying you're just passing through so don't get too attached it's like have you ever been to a hotel I go to a hotel stay in a hotel I try and keep the room reasonably nice and I you know get the towels and I recycle them to save the planet but I don't wash the towels that would be weird because I'm, I'm not staying there you know if you hire a car you try and look after the car I hope you don't totally just mess it up but I don't wash the car why? it's not mine I don't get too attached so Peter in the last decade of his life before martyrdom he's writing to these people but he's basically saying if you had to show your passport now it would say foreign visitor wherever you go because like Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 20 he said our citizenship is in heaven that's our citizenship that's our real home that's the kingdom passport and you know and so therefore when people ask these kind of questions of you are the answers that you give shaped by your citizenship because I'm assuming that you've given your life to Jesus if you've not tonight's the night you can do it it's a great night best night of your life to be able to do it tonight to Jesus don't leave it another day don't wait until things get better without him they won't and assuming that you've said yes to following Jesus what he does we're going to find out is he changes our identity you get a new nationality you, get, you live for a new kingdom he even gives you a new name the Bible says in Revelation known only to himself so when you produce the passport who are you where do you come from where are you going these are the kind of questions that our lives have to answer and, and how much of God is there in our answers to those questions or do we just think we get to decide those what's your identity verse 2 it says you're elect from a Greek word that means called out ones you have been chosen you have been picked out God looked around the world and picked you well whoever else might have rejected you he's saying God picked you God said I'm having that one no matter who might reject us how fantastic is that how awesome is that you got picked we got picked and, and that's so good because often I'm 
can get a bit dependent on people liking me and approving of me and all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, the most important person in the whole uniform picked me and said, I want you to be with me forever. That should do something to my heart. To know that God chose me. Now, some supposed theologians and others say that the church only came up with the idea of the Trinity a few centuries on and then they kind of projected it back. But you can see right here in 64... AD the Trinity is involved in salvation because it's got it says here the father chooses the spirit sanctifies or makes us holy and the son saves us through his work it's all there right there and it says the father foreknew them that means he chose in advance those people who were going to belong to him I don't understand how that works it's a mystery God picked me but I thought I chose him but it turns out he picked me it's one of those things I heard somebody say it's like there's two ropes hanging down one of them is God chose me the other rope is I chose God you don't get to heaven climbing up one rope you, you have to climb up both when you get to heaven you find out they were intertwined <laughs> both of them were at work at the same time and the word can also be translated foreordained and I have to admit I get a bit annoyed around this time of year because I I look on Facebook and to be honest with you I mean I used to wear one too at one point didn't really want to but you're going to get see a lot of people wearing robes and standing outside cathedrals saying they're getting ordained but for me that only perpetuates a very unbiblical idea that has come in of there being clergy and laity that's not there in the Bible the fact is every Christ follower is ordained is foreordained is chosen for good works prepared in advance that you should walk in them Alan Hirsch says your baptism is your ordination the question is what are we going to do with that that's who we are I love that song I asked for it, it's who I am and at the heart of it all I'm a child of God he's a good good father who are you? I'm just a stranger here but I've been picked out, called out and sent out by my father and he multiplies his grace and his peace to me that's all in that passage so how do you know if you're one of the chosen ones well here's a clue you know whether or not you're one of the chosen ones whether you're not a Christian because by this when I've been saying this there's a response inside of you that kind of goes yeah that's it it's called worship that's at its raw form <laughs> it's, worship is when you kind of go oh yeah I want some of that that's amazing that's worship now and Peter himself he can't help himself he starts to write out a little poem a little it's called a, technically it's called a doxology just praising God there's no B in the next bit in the original Greek it just says blessed the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and if you were here a couple of weeks ago you know Peter's writing to this scattered group of persecuted believers who've been blamed by the Emperor Nero he himself they think set fire to the, the slums in Rome in order to be able to make an area for a more palace for himself and then there was revolts in the city over that and people were were really mad about it so he blamed the Christians just picked somebody it was the Christians who did it so there's this tremendous pressure if you say if you say I'm a Christian at that time and so Peter is saying to them yeah you're going to go through these hard times as a result of this but don't focus on that focus on God look up don't look around 
You see, and I'll be honest, we think we have a hard time. I can think sometimes I have a hard time. And we're not going to minimise it if you're going through a difficulty, but it's helpful to put this into some form of perspective. There's a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus. We have a picture of him. And he was a young boy living in Rome during the time of these persecutions, and he wrote about them. I'll read what he said. To stop the rumour, basically, that he'd set Rome on fire, although he had Emperor Nero falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were generally hated that's what it was to be a Christian in those days in those times generally hated Christus the founder by that name was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius history guys not a made up story history but the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out yet again not only through Judea where the mischief originated but through the city of Rome also those were arrested who confessed that they were Christians and were convicted not on the charge of burning the city but of hating the human race in their very deaths they were made the subject of sport for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts worried to death by dogs or nailed to crosses or set fire to and when the day waned burned to serve for the evening lights while Nero offered his own garden players for the spectacle did we sign up for that see sometimes it said if the way if we can if we can just present the gospel in such a way that people will more readily accept it if we can kind of make it more user-friendly for our culture if we can kind of just go with the flow a little bit if we can fit in with the modern way of thinking around us if we can make it more palatable make it more receptive that's the way that the gospel will really flourish if we just approve of whatever else approves of and we just go i wish that was the case it would be so much easier than real christianity to just go with the flow but the problem is it's the dead fish that float downstream I used to have a t-shirt with this picture on in the 1980s that's how cool I was there's a Christian fish it has to go against the flow the uncomfortable incontrovertible truth is that ever since the beginning from the first few centuries onwards see whenever the gospel was multiplying and growing fastest and more people were becoming Christians was when it was tough to be one when you had to be a real one to be one everybody was RC real Christian or you weren't one and that was when the gospel made the biggest impact when, when it cost something for a Jesus follower to stand up and be counted and say no matter what anybody else says no matter what they throw at me no matter who's listening or threatening Jesus Christ is Lord that's what we get called to a few decades later you would think it got better it didn't it got worse a young Roman governor called Pliny the Younger he wrote to the then emperor whose name was Trajan because he'd been ordered to stamp out Christianity and it wasn't working whatever he was trying to do they just more people were becoming, becoming Christians it, so he wrote to the emperor about his first encounters with these annoying people about what he called a contagion a virus effectively that was spreading across the empire and I haven't got time to read it all but do yourself a favour and check it out that's what Google's for it, 
and, and as I'm reading this, just reading a bit of it, ask yourself this. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And number two, what would it take for you to deny Christ? He writes this to the emperor. It is my practice, my lord, to refer to you all matters concerning which I'm in doubt. For who can give better guidance? Creep, creep. <laughs> With regard to the trials of Christians, I do not know what offences it is the practice to punish and to what extent. I've been hesitant as to whether there should be any distinction on account of age or no difference between the very young and the more mature. Whether pardon is to be granted for repentance, in other words, if they change their minds and say, I'm not a Christian anymore. Or if a man has once been a Christian, it does him no good to have ceased to be one. Whether the name itself, even without offences, is enough to be punished. In the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I've observed the following procedure. I, interrog I interrogated them. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. An anonymous document was published concerning the names of many persons saying they were Christians. I discharged those who denied that they were or had been Christians. When they invoked our gods, in the words dictated by me and offered prayer with incense and wine to your image and moreover cursed Christ none of which those who are really Christians it is said can be forced to do so others named by the informer declare that they were Christians but then denied it asserting that they had been but had ceased to be some years before they all worshipped your image in the statues of the gods and cursed Christ. They asserted that when they had been Christians, the sum of their error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and bind themselves by oath not to commit fraud, theft or adultery. When this was over, it was their custom to assemble again and partake of ordinary innocent food. So I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else by that but depraved excessive superstition. I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons of every age, every rank of both sexes are and will be endangered by this. For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but now also to the villages and farms. It's like nothing stops the gospel. But it still seems possible that we can check and cure it. If an opportunity for repentance can be afforded. Can you imagine how hard it can be even now in some places around the world to stand up and say Jesus Christ is Lord and what gets taken away and what could be what suffering you could go through for the name of Jesus Christ. See actually what I'm saying is this is what we should sign up for as Christians. This is real Christianity and I'm not saying we're inviting or even expecting we're certainly not wanting persecution but we have to be ready for it because Jesus said take up a cross and follow me. So that's why Peter keeps it real 
Instead of starting out by saying, oh, it's awful, and I'm really dead, dead sorry, and, you know, empathetic and sympathetic to what you're going through and all of that, and, but it's be all right, you're going to live your best life now. He didn't say that. He didn't say God's going to get you out of it. What he says is praise God in it. Worship God in it, in the middle of the trials, in the tribulations, because actually he says this is what proves that you belong to him. You come through these tests, you come through these trials, and people may reject you. Even your earthly family may reject you, but your heavenly father never will. Because you've got this new identity, you've got a living hope, an everlasting hope, he says in verse 3, that can never die. Why does he say that? Because anything else, everything else you could ever put your hope in will die. All of the hopes that men and women have, other than that which comes in Jesus Christ, is a dying hope. Every dream is a dying dream. It will either die before they do or die when they do. That's why the Apostle Paul says, if it's only in this world that we have hope, we are the most miserable of all people. Because death cuts away all of the hope than Jesus. See, that's why those first Christians could say yes to him even if it meant at the same time yes to death because they knew that yes to him is yes to life it's a living hope that nobody can take away and it's an eternal hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead this isn't wishful thinking this is history the resurrection of Jesus from the dead see Jesus said because I live you also shall live he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Peter was standing right there when he came out of his grave and he met him. He was actually standing there when he saw Lazarus coming out of his grave because Jesus called him out of the grave. He's seen that Jesus really is who he says he is, that he is the way and the truth and the life. He saw him die on a cross. He saw him raised from the dead. He came, do, you, do you remember? Jesus came and met him. He found him after his failure and restored him on a beach. And he just asked him the same question. All that really matters to me, do you love me? But I've blown it. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's all he wants. And that's what Peter sings, bless God about, because he loves him. But the problem for me is I can get kind of used to this if I'm not careful. These amazing realities just in the week I was with this a, a fantastic guy who's going to be at launch our conference later in the year called Dr. AJ Lal he's planted thousands of churches across India he's an incredible mighty man of God but he was saying that he said he, said he remembers the first time he went to the Taj Mahal when he was like 15 he travelled to this place and he got there and he saw it and he said literally when he saw it because he'd been brought up in the slums and he saw this incredible beauty of the Taj Mahal and he said he fell over because he'd never seen anything so beautiful he, it like shook him and he fell to the ground it was like a wow but then he says now people come from all over the world and visit us and I take them to see the Taj Mahal and just realise now I just kind of go there's the Taj Mahal we can can we is it, is it possible that we can take these incredible truths and they just become kind of commonplace they don't they stop, stop see for Peter there's still this oh man Wow, what God has done, what Jesus is doing is so amazing that I've been born again, that I've got a living hope. So he's got this new identity, but he's also got this inheritance. He wants to talk about that. You know what an inheritance is? It's something that you don't deserve, something you don't earn, but somebody dies so you can get it. 
That's what an inheritance is. And he says, you've got an inheritance. This is so wonderful. Because you've been chosen and brought into a family, you've got an inheritance. And there's three things he wants us to know about the inheritance. First of all, it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Matthew, click. Oh, here we go. An inheritance that's incorruptible. Aphartos in Greek, used in secular Greek to speak of a very interesting concept. Something that was, if you had an invading army that came through and they just robbed everything, that was the word that was used. When you just got like marauders coming through and smashing everything up and destroying it. Now, that's an interesting thought to think about the Old Testament because their inheritance was an earthly inheritance, wasn't it? They got the land. Each tribe got a portion of the land. But then, how many times would an army come through and just take it all back again? Over and over and over again. 17 times Jerusalem was overrun. So they know about an inheritance that keeps on getting ripped off and taken off them. And now he says, no, you've got an inheritance now that nobody's going to take away. Nobody can rob it. Nobody's, it's imperishable. It's never going to be exhausted. Maybe that's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where no moth is going to eat it up. Where no rust is going to destroy it. Where's your treasure? There's no place in the world that is safe to put your treasure in. A great pastor by the name of John Stott told the story about how doing a funeral and this wealthy old lady and um, all the village came and they all were very interested in how much money she had and they all came along to it and then somebody asked and said, how much did she leave? And he said, everything. Because it's all perishable. You know that, that people say there's no pockets in a shroud. You never saw a coffin pulling a trailer. Everything's going to go. But the inheritance God has for us is imperishable. Second word, undefiled, amiantos, means unpolluted, unstained. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 the whole of creation is groaning, it's waiting, because right now it's messed up. We wonder why the world is so messed up. It's because it's, it's stained. It's defiled. Even the good stuff. Even the best stuff. That new house will soon grow old. That new car will rust. Wherever we put our earthly treasure, even in relationships, people get old and die. It's all part of the unfolding of the consequence of sin. So where's your focus? Where's your treasure? It says this inheritance, third term he uses finally, is unfading. The word there that literally is, is to do with like flowers... You know our flowers, they, they start out beautiful. You're like, oh wow, look at those flowers. And then a couple of days later, even the M&S ones, <laughs> I mean the good ones, even them, they start to fade. So he said, that's everything. It's just going to fade away. But this is a one that won't fade away. Matt, press again. Did it come up? No. Oh, maybe I've not done it. And then verse 4, he says, it's reserved in heaven for you. Literally, that means guarded. It means all of this is being guarded for you. That is a safe place. It's reserved in heaven. It's kept for you. And not only is it kept for you, he says, you're kept for it. Because you are being kept. 
How good is that? This inheritance isn't just being kept for you. You're being kept for it by God. How? Through faith. Just keep on believing him. We're saved by grace through faith. We will be saved by grace through faith. He saves us by faith. He sanctifies us by faith. It's all by faith, not by works. And finally, that leads to inexpressible joy. Remember who he's writing to. Remember what they're going through. They're not, they're not going through nice circumstances. How can he say that they're going to rejoice? He says, You're going to rejoice in this. In what? In the identity and in the inheritance you're not going to rejoice that you're going through the stuff but whatever you go through you can always rejoice in the identity and in the inheritance in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you've been distressed by various trials where do we look for joy in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up here and pray. I'm going to get the resident people who came up here first of all. We're going to pray for them. But then we're going to invite you to come up as well if you want to, to do business with God and have some of them pray for you too. Because this is the way this works. You know, I was saying this morning at Academy, Tim, a few years ago, came to Ivy, really met with God in an incredible way, very powerfully. And, um, and he was living down in London and we ended up talking I just saw something from his life and I said I think God wants to use you in some way maybe you should come up to Manchester and he's like oh I don't know I'm praying about it and I said why don't you find out maybe you could apply to be a leadership resident and there's this thing that you know in America there's this thing that you do and you go on and you tick all the boxes and, and at the end of that you know if you pass that then we, you could be a, a, a resident and he did it and he came back and basically he didn't score high <laughs> he failed the test but I was like I think they got it wrong do you think they got it wrong I think they got it wrong I think God saw all kinds of stuff in him and, and, and he's in the business of bringing it out and as a result of that now 98% of what happens in residency is done by Tim who was a former resident this is how stuff happens people step up and they get empowered and then they go and they encourage other people too so maybe you'd love it. I would love it if some of the people who've been residents here would pray for other people who then come up for whatever it is that God's calling you into. And we want to pray that you'll know your identity, who you are, that you're going to know your inheritance and spend it all. Everything heaven's got for you, don't wait for heaven. Start spending it. You know, if he's got healing for you, to you spend it. If he's got, you know, miracles ready for you get spending them I didn't want, God's not waiting for them all to give them us all in heaven he said we've got permission to pray let your kingdom come let your will be done here on the earth now as it is in heaven let it happen here on the earth so if you've got healing needs if you've got situations that seem impossible if you've got anything come on up and these guys are, are going to be praying for that and for you tonight so let's stand up if you're able because these things that God's got for us these they're so much better than any earthly possession because nobody can take them away let's just start to pray and if, uh, if the residents can come up first of all and I want to pray for inexpressible joy in this place 
See, you know, for, for a year, but it's not just for a year, these guys have said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue my joy somewhere else. There's all kinds of things that they could do to go and make money and, do, and serve in different ways. But they said, I'm going to put that aside for a year and, and I'm going to test this and I'm going to start to see what's in the inheritance box. I'm going to start to see some of that. And I'm going to step into and learn even more about my identity. And the thing is that that isn't just a year. That's a decision that's going to roll on through the rest of their lives and through them in, in all kinds of other ways too. So I want to pray for you. And why don't you reach out hand for these guys and just pray for them. I want to bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you always know your identity in him who you are that you are a, a daughter of God that you are a son of the living God that everything that he has is available to you and he wants you to receive it and give it away to receive it and give it away everything that is poured into you he wants to multiply grace and peace be multiplied to you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God the Father, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Thank you, Lord, that you're in the business of multiplication. Thank you that each one of these guys talks about multiplication. It's something that you've put in their spirits. They don't just want to hold on to something. They want to see it added to and multiplied. And they, they, I just see them as being like, right now, each one of them just being like that little boy who comes with the loaves and the fishes and gives it to you. And I thank you that as they're broken and as brokenness happens, some multiplication takes place. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to, to just practice again now, listening to you, speaking out what you say, leading other people closer to you. Be anointed in the name of Jesus. Be anointed. I've got some oil they're going to pray for anybody who wants prayer right now if you start to come up and they're just going to be lined up down the front sorry and this call this call actually is an all in full on go anywhere do anything call this is the same kind of call that the first Christians got called to that's what we're talking about uh, lay my life down all the old stuff everything up until now to follow you I'm going to be an alien and stranger I'm going to live as a pilgrim I'm going to go wherever he sends me that's what the call is for and they're going to pray that for you so if that's you and you're up for that they're going to pray for you that you're going to know your identity who you are defined by Jesus in his family as his own child and that you are going to receive your full inheritance so we're going to start praying for you just take your eyes off the world for a minute get your eyes on Jesus thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org media